Maddie Loves, what's going on, my man? What's up, dude? Thanks for having me on. This should be fun. Yeah, dude. Thanks for coming. Where are you at right now, by the way? I'm in Oceanside, California. Wow, it looks gorgeous. I've seen some pictures you've posted. You've got quite the setup out there. Yeah, we've got a, a barrel sauna, steps to the beach, rooftop deck for sun. It's it's fairly dialed in. That's unreal. When did you start getting into all of those little knickknacks, the whole like holistic health, I guess, product sphere and lifestyle in general? Yeah, in, in the business sense, really not too long ago. I'm sure we'll get into that. I've been thinking about it for literally like five years and just not getting to it in the business sense. But man, honestly, like my health story probably goes back as far as like high school. I Something sold me on the idea of like, uh, actually started with hygiene products before I got into like food, which now uh, like food is a key thing we'll get into a lot, I'm sure. But uh, just realizing like, you know, your deodorant has like xenoestrogens in it and all that, that stuff. Um, and this was way back. Uh, so that was kind of my first foray. And then when I really got like deep into it in like the current sense, like the biohacking sense, I have to give credit to Bulletproof and Dave Asprey that really hooked me in like 20, this is like 2014, 2015. It was pretty, it was pretty early. I was going to like the Bulletproof conferences in, uh, in Pasadena and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, you know, that just like really set me on the trajectory and then that's transformed over time for sure. But that was really like the phase where I was listening to podcasts every single day, trying things new, ordering all these supplements, being super strict, probably overly strict on diet. Um, you know, it really started in that era for me. Yeah, dude. Well, honestly, I think that's with a lot of people, right when you get into it, like you're all in and it's just, you know, it's unsustainable. You're kind of almost to the point of neuroticism and we all know neuroticism is not good for your health, but I think that's what you have to do. Like, because it's so deep, because it's so nuanced, you have to become obsessed for like a small period of time. It's funny you bring up Dave Asprey. Dave Asprey has been huge for me as well. You know, I think he's definitely at the upper level limits, uh, like a little bit I guess I'd say he's like, he's early, right? Like he's, he's beyond our time. Um, but man, some of the stuff that he brought up was really incredible for me. It just completely changed my perspective on what health is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it totally changed my view on just like longevity. And, um, you know, I think you can take it too far and become kind of orthorexic too, which I probably was for some period and like got pretty skinny even, but like, uh, yeah, you know, he was so ahead of the curve. And I have to give him props, even though he's kind of controversial. And some people are like, Oh, he doesn't quite look the right (laughs) image for what he's preaching and stuff like that. Like, I get it. But um, I have to give him props. Like he turned on so many people to it. He's an amazing marketer. He's an amazing storyteller in the health space. And probably just one of the most the best examples of a good health influencer we've ever had, I would say. Um, And you know, even something like seed oils, like that's getting so popular in the last year, as I'm sure you've seen. And I haven't. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, really? Let me tell you about No, dude. Have you heard of canola oil? Um, but yeah, like dude, that it's is good for heart health. Dude, like for for kind of like the the OG bulletproofers, and I, I know a lot of them, uh, it's just like, it's really, it's almost strange to see it getting so popular right now because it was so fringe for so long. And, you know, like I got to give, again, props to Dave S because he got me terrified of seed oils like freaking eight years ago or something like that. So ahead of yeah. the curve you know that's the natural progression with a lot of these health things at first it's fringe you know they say you're crazy you're ridiculous for it then it becomes a point of contention and then it just becomes self-evident right They're like oh yeah obviously like that is that is so common but when it first comes out you you sound crazy for it right and you know yeah. all all props to dave asprey i think he's an incredible guy and a lot he does get a lot of flack I'm sure maybe some of it is warranted but at the end of the day you know he is going out there and putting his own health on the line for this, right? He's testing out experiments. He's risking a lot to, you know, explore these forays in the health landscape. And, you know, that may end up in some like negative health things. That's what happens when you do these experiments. So I think like the argument of like, oh, like he doesn't look the part. You also have to keep in mind, Dave Asprey was like very health compromised when he started. That's how he got into it. He was very heavy, very overweight, very depressed. And he was able to bring a lot of that into remission. Now, I think the coolest part about Dave Asprey, which is a part that I really like, is I will go back and listen to his first podcast compared to his most recent podcast. And there is a linear progression of his verbal fluency and articulative abilities. And I believe that's a great proxy for overall uh, brain health and cognitive health. So I, I, man, I love Dave Asprey. Uh, And like, you don't have to take all of his advice, but the way that you mentioned, he's able to tell stories and explain these incredibly dense health topics that have not 
shown the light in terms of general audience and just makes it all understandable. Like it's incredible and it's invaluable. So I definitely recommend everybody does a Dave Asprey and a bulletproof deep dive just to entertain the idea. You don't have to do anything that he says, but have a better understanding of the biological mechanisms at play, what goes yeah. into being a healthy organism. Like so many people don't even understand, you know, the function of the mitochondria past, you know, 11th grade biology where it's like, it's the powerhouse of the cell. Yeah, yeah, he's he's impressive. He's one of those few people that almost speaks in written prose. Like he speaks like a copywritten message, you know, which can come across almost like a little cringe or a little marketing, mm -hmm. which it totally is. But I also think that's a superpower because that's he, he like, you know, he he says like how I felt like I weighed 300 pounds. I felt like crap instead of just being like, here's the technical things. He he makes it he tries to like pull you in and make it relatable. And yeah. I, I think that's why he's like had the success that he's had and has definitely pioneered so many so many areas of, of health and not just putting butter in your coffee but like all of it dude i mean that got me interested in like all the things that are popular now cold sauna sun uh diet chemicals just all of it like he was he was really ahead of the curve on but now i think it's getting popular honestly because of like i feel like you are in this new cohort of health influencer that's like emerging health influencer that is like younger like i feel like Solbra is kind of like that category you know and mm -hmm. it's so cool to see this like new crowd that's emerging right now and making it making it cool and accessible it it, seems it, to be like making it just go exponential right now so it's, it's awesome so important man and that's exactly yeah. it right like the stuff that dave asprey's talking about it's been around forever but it's been shrouded in these deep scientific literature books it's been completely you know inaccessible to the average population so he's just making it cool for that audience and now we see yeah you know soul bra has really bought brought this new wave of looking at health where it's like oh it's cool it's flashy it has right. this lore behind it. And that's what you need because you have to look at what you're going up against. We're, our, our attention spans are shorter than ever. You know, we have to make health education more interesting than, you know, everything else that's on the Internet. So there's some really incredible people in this space. And, you know, something I think you see as well is the potential for privately owned businesses and consumer products to be the leading force behind health education. You know, I believe that this new health renaissance is going to happen completely orthogonal to the existing medical system, right? And that's what deterred me from going down that route. I saw there was so much more leverage, there was so much more reach, and there was so much more opportunity for distribution from the private sector. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think products are some of the best ways to actually make change in the world. Uh, that totally just rang a bell for me. Uh, for Ryan Daniel Moran, I've listened to his podcast for years. He's like behind capitalism.com. And I forget what his podcast is even called these days. It used to be called Freedom Fastlane. And he's like, he's so big on that about the point you just got behind is that like creating a business is the most effective way to actually create a change in the world. And if you want people to do things, you need to make it fucking awesome for them. Like you need to give them a sick product, a sick experience. And then they will do the thing that's good for them because it's the most convenient. It tastes the best. It feels the best, you know, whatever else it is. And then they're getting that benefit too. If you're making so many compromises to like do something that's healthy, that's when people aren't going to do it. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, look at how Bulletproof started. For a lot of people, their introduction to Dave Asprey was the Bulletproof coffee. Like, oh, butter and coffee. Like one, that sounds novel. Two, it sounds kind of delicious. And then that opens the door. Because once you're able to show that, hey, listen, we have something that gives you an acute benefit, that creates this trust. It creates this confidence in that person to then help with the other lifestyle factors, right? And the other lifestyle aspects. I think additionally, another way that the landscape has changed in terms of health dissipation, uh, of like health information, is now finally there's a way to actually make promoting a healthy and balanced lifestyle monetizable so that it's sustainable because before right. i think the reason that you know uh, i guess you know big pharma if we want to go there but even like any health stuff was very much you know product based it's just this and only this and like they deter you from doing the cheaper health stuff and like the, the cheaper health things that we talk about like grounding and all that stuff it's because there it wasn't really monetizable like you can't make as much money off of promoting a healthy lifestyle as you can prescribing someone a pill for the rest of their life but now because we're in this attention economy because the new currency is engagement and its views and its attention like you can't do that right you can reach such a wider audience yeah i mean you can build a niche business that 
you, when you hear niche business, you might think like, oh, it's really, really tiny. But I've come to the realization that niche businesses can be like $10 million and like super hyper specific, you know, like, like take, take Vanman. We were talking a bit earlier before about like the tallow and like, I'm pretty sure he's done what, like over a million dollars in sales in the last year selling like tallow cream. And that just seems like the most obscure thing too. And again, it's an example of just not reaching the market because it's not like tallow, uh, you know, uh, creams and stuff are, is particularly new. It's ac actually, it's extremely old. It's like the, it's the original thing. It fell out of favor. And I'm sure there's been people that have been selling it constantly for the last decades, but they're not reaching the right market. And if you like spin it a certain way and tweak it and make it clean and make sure it's grass fed and position it a certain way and tweet bullshit on Twitter, then you're going to, then you're going to hit the right market, you know, and you're yeah. going to blow it up. The positioning, it's, it's all about the positioning, right? And I love where we're at right now in science and the zeitgeist of this time where we are getting back to appreciating the traditional approaches, the traditional medicine, because the modern system has failed us for all intents and purposes, at least from a preventative standpoint. But now we have like the scientific rigor to bridge that gap. And I've been obsessed with that junction, that crossroad of the ancient wisdom with the modern science. So you can have the emotional, the historical, the cultural aspect of it, but then back it up with cold hard science. And that's just such a wonderful place to be in. And it's not mutually exclusive. And yeah, I mean, like all of the trends, I've seen this so common with health trends. They go out of style. People forget about them. The next generation comes and they become popular again. I see it a lot with supplements, right? Like the, the active steroids, uh, so like the plant-based steroids, like Tercesterone, those were huge 20 years ago. In the early 2000s, they were all the rage. They went out of style, and now they're back, and they're the next big thing. So we just see that being really common. And you know what you said about niche businesses, you're right. Like a lot of the people that I talk to, you know, the people that I know that are some of the wealthiest people, I was like, "What do you do for work?" And they're like, "Oh, you know, I sell the scales that Panera uses to weigh their bread." I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> so like all restaurants is like, no, just Panera, and like you know, they're they're worth you know multiple millions. It's crazy. And I think, you know, with your uh, research, your, your previous business, which you're still running, you know, that's a very niche business. When I when I saw RSNB, I'm like, so you're selling, you know, spoilers for specific Porsches. And uh, yeah, as it's... you know, like one audience, but how many people own Porsches, right? And like what it like, it, it's pretty big when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, that's like the definition of a niche business. I mean, that is like the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest market of all time. And um, we could go down that rabbit hole of like how to market to that. But it's been so unique because almost nobody is our customer so that you you can't even just blast ads or something like even if you just targeted like porsche owners that is still like a thousand times bigger than our actual market of this particular car that has this particular part but when you reach that exact market then they're just like hell yeah like that's perfect that's exactly what i want and you know that's not like a huge business by any means but that's like a lifestyle business that you know, has been pretty solid for a couple of years now and still kind of fun to run. But I, I mean, I'm, my, I've always been more passionate about the health space and things like that. I'm the car thing. Like I'm I, honestly, lately, I'm not even feeling it too much. <laughs> um, but I, I had my phase, especially like living in LA. I, I was living in LA for a, a long time before down here and uh, up there, like the car scene was just like a lot of fun. So I got pretty into that. But yeah, I, I can imagine hanging around a bunch of people with Porsches, driving a Porsche around would be pretty fun. But yeah, I think, you know, it's it's a mental shift that people need to make. Um, I think before, because a lot of businesses were bound by physical distribution, they're like, we need to have a size of all service so we can appease the maximum market in this area, right, in a geographical reason. But now, you know, there's 7.8 billion people in the world, 5 billion of those people probably have access to internet. The nicher you go, the easier your life's going to be from a targeting standpoint, from a positioning standpoint, and also from a psychological standpoint, because people want very specific problems, solutions for their very specific problems. I'm not going to go to a cardiologist to get a knee surgery. I'm not going to go to an ophthalmologist to get open heart surgery. So people want right. specialists and li like literally you can comb down any niche and you'll find millions of people in that niche. Yeah. And, and I think the best way to do that is to start with yourself, you know, like scratch your own itch. And that's, that's what I'm doing now with Rizal with the grounded shoes. And also even with RSNV, it was that it was that I couldn't, like, there was nobody fitting that market the way I actually wanted it. And I was like, screw it, this would be sick. I'll just like, we'll make it, we'll engineer it. Um, my partner in that is like an ex uh, Apple engineer. So we like, it has like legit engineering combined with like my marketing. And we were just like, easy let's let's do it but um yeah 100 you know like 
it, honestly, it makes it a lot easier when it, when you're niche in a lot of ways. Like like take take Rizal, which we'll probably get into, but for people that don't know, that don't know Rizal is my new brand of uh, grounded natural leather barefoot shoes. And you know, if I was just like if I just came, came like everyone always says shoes is super competitive, right? Um, and there's definitely a lot of challenges that I've already faced with it. But like, if I just came out like, hey, I'm selling shoes, like, I made a design, do you like it? Do you want to buy it? I mean, that's really, really, really hard to just come out with like a shoe brand, right? But I'm making a shoe brand for crazy people. <laughs> I'm making the shoe brand for the people that like, already understand what barefoot is, they understand they want grounding, they, you know, they're probably the same person that is like not buying polyester clothing anymore, for example. Um, and they kind of already understand this, this certain space. And there's a lot of alignment to those other products we were talking about, like, like tallow products or freaking like mastic gum or something like that. You know, t- if you position it to the same crowd and you talk to those people, then you can actually, I mean, hopefully that, at least this is my plan. You can, you can break out a lot easier by doing that, by just serving a very particular market and and delivering exactly what they want instead of just being like hey we made shoes that are like green and have a different style do you like it do you want to buy it be really hard it's so hard and i see so many people doing that they're like oh i just came out with a creatine supplement i'm like really what is it like it's just creatine i'm like (laughs) that put a label (laughs) yeah that that only works if you have a competitive advantage elsewhere maybe you have a large personal brand then you can come out with something very basic maybe you have an incredible distribution network maybe your dad is like the head of 7-eleven right so you can get every 7-eleven but at the end of the day like i think you know finding that blue ocean strategy and being like cool like where is an existing audience that shares a pre-existing worldview what can I lodge in there that already aligns with everything they're trying to do as opposed to like trying to convince them of something. So, man, it's just like, I remember because I used to be in, in software, uh, like, you know, building a, a company in cybersecurity and we were trying to do everything for everyone. And we just didn't niche down because it's hard. You get shiny object syndrome. There's this scarcity mindset that people have. They're like, oh, like maybe this could help this person. Let's include it. And then you just end up targeting no one. So like that was like my big thing moving forward. It's like I'm going to start everything I do so small, so niche, so simple because it just makes your life so much easier. There's so much less risk. It's so much more convenient and effective and efficient. And that's something I really talk about, you know, when I'm working with health brands because they want to target everyone. I'm like target one person. You are one solution for one person with one problem. And then branch out later on when you get into those larger phases of like the customer lifecycle, right? Like in the beginning, you're focusing on those innovators, like you said, and I think you know it very well, get in the niche, get in where they hang out, become part of that click, become part of that group, because that's how it spreads like wildfire. 100%. Yeah. You know, like with Rizal, my target market is like myself and you, basically. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then it from... fits well. <laughs> and then from there, it'll find its people, you know, it'll find its people through, uh, through just our little ecosystem is that what I think will happen. Absolutely. And you know, here's why I love the health space so much is because if you're a health nut, that's your whole life. So first and foremost, you're, you're usually going to over index on spending for anything in that space. Like, even if it's like a, a larger percentage of your overall like disposable income, like you're going to spend all your money on health stuff. Like I know I do. Like I don't, I don't really like like buying nice clothes that much unless they're like health related, you know, <laughs> unless they're like grounding shoes and stuff like that. But it's like, if health is your number one priority, you're going to spend all the money in the world to optimize that. And like, for me, it's just like, I don't get that like price tag worry as much when I'm like, this is going to directly impact my health. So it's wonderful. I see a lot of people in this space are very receptive to others because it is such a strong community. And um, if you can get those initial audience members to be part of a more influential group, someone who's very vocal about their lifestyle and stuff, it's such a competitive advantage. It's such a great growth lever to get that flywheel going. I know like when I, when I work with people, I'm like, let's go dig into like 10 of these potential like ideal customer personas and we'll go to their Instagram and we'll go on their sto- Instagram stories every day. And we're trying to find the people that post every aspect of their life, right? What did they have for breakfast this morning? What did they work out at the gym today? Like what activities are they doing? Oh, they're rock climbing. So if they share every aspect of their life, if you can just get your product as part of that lifestyle, they're going to post it. They're going to share it with everyone. They're going to have a sense of ownership over your brand, which I think is so important. Yeah, totally. Love that. Yeah. So how did you go like from when, I guess, when did you make the decision to start saying, I'm going to start working with health products? I know you you tweeted a while ago, uh, as in two days ago, 
about how like you started off in e-com and then you just started working on products that scratch your own itch with RSNB and now with Rizal. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, so um, just a little quick backstory for a lot of, I mean, I'm sure this will reach like a new audience, but I used to do a lot of like personal brand stuff and have an audience and put out a lot more content and things like that. And most of it was around e-commerce and Amazon. So way back in the day, I was like, one of these Amazon guys. And I was like doing FBA and creating my own brands back in 2015 or whatever. But I had some okay brands. I, I never was really like talking about those brands publicly because Amazon was like this cutthroat thing. But some of them were almost loosely related to health, you could argue, but they still weren't something I was like super, super passionate in. And eventually just was getting like so, so, so burned out on just trying to uh, it's like what we were saying a few minutes ago. It's just like you could you could go with a unique product and a unique customer, or you can just try to market the hell out of something that's like basically similar to everything else. And that's essentially what I was doing was just trying to market the hell out of something that wasn't that unique. Um, and was just getting so burnt out on that. And that kind of led to RSNV, which wasn't which is definitely not a health product, but it was like a a fun project. And I had like I went into it with no expectations, just thinking like, oh, it can be super small, I'll be happy with it, like let's just make it. It'll be sick. Like I I'm scratching my own itch. And, um, you know, it's just like a fun experience and turned out to, to go like pretty well. Again, I'm not claiming RSNV is like some massive business by any means. It's, it's really not. It is really a, cool though. <laughs> it is really cool. It's the coolest it, business I've seen. I mean, it does like, I mean, it's like, you know, in the six figures of revenue, like it's not like, it's not some giga giant thing, but it's like, you know, it's an income for, for me and my partner. And, but yeah, rsnv.co is the website or Instagram. But, um, yeah, you know, that was kind of my first foray into like, dude, I got to do stuff that I just think is cool and and, and pumps me up. Um, so that was the first one. Health, though, it's funny. I mean, I've been looking into doing health products since back to the origin story of like Bulletproof and stuff like that. I was selling on Amazon and doing private label and spinning up products at that time. You know, I was looking at that stuff like hardcore. I just never actually got into it. like I looking back, I mean, if I had just launched like a supplement brand or something, probably would have absolutely knocked it out of the park because I was on kind of the cutting edge, especially then even more than now being on the cutting edge of like, what's the next hot supplement and stuff like that. Um, dude, I literally was running the numbers on, uh, like beef liver capsules in like 2018. Like that, I could have been so early to that. And, <laughs> and like now that's like Amazon. Yeah, yeah, dude, I was looking at it before Ancestral Supplements was on Amazon. Back then, it was only Perfect Supplements. I don't know if you've seen that brand. I um, honestly but, haven't. And I think that's testament to how early it was. Dude, I, I, I can like sh literally show you in my Amazon orders. I was buying Perfect Supplements beef liver capsules from Amazon. And like, this is probably like 2016, 17, something like that. And dude, I was running the numbers and thinking like, oh, shit, like this could be something. It's super niche. It's probably too niche. You know, like that, those are the, the things I was telling myself at the time. It's like, it's tiny. Like, who's going to buy like beef liver capsules? And now like Ancestral Supplements is probably doing like hundreds of millions of dollars, heart and soils crushing. Um, so that that's a really cool space. But, um, you know, I was thinking about it back then. I just never pulled the trigger on a health product. One, I almost started like I was literally talking to manufacturers. Uh, I was formulating stuff at home was... Um, in the bulletproof area, obviously keto was super hot at the time and there was, now it's redundant, but at the time there were like no keto bars, like a protein bar, but keto, there was like none. There were the bulletproof bars that had collagen and that was, that was literally it. Like there was, uh, this was before, um, what's, uh, what's the brand? Perfect Keto. Uh, yeah. Before perfect keto launched their bar, it was before then. And I was like, like th they ended up doing basically what I was working on, which is cool. But um, yeah, we, uh, yeah we know Anthony, I never Anthony got Anthony Gustin. Uh, we know Anthony Gustin. He's on Twitter. He's uh, founder of Perfect Keto. Crushed it. Yeah, no, that dude. I I look up to him a lot because he he's executed on multiple things that I've thought about executing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, props, huge props to him. I I definitely um, he'd be a great one to to chat with. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to get him on. I've been talking to him. Um, yeah, he's got he's got a really solid repertoire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, multiple, multiple hits for sure. And then and then now, like even being a success, what's he doing? He's like raising pigs and stuff. That's so cool. Yeah, man. He's, he's like, hey, does anyone does anyone want to buy my 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 corn and soy free pork? <laughs> I you know, I think it goes back to what you, you were talking about, where it's like if 
there's some people that can just hard nose it and they're like, I see a market opportunity. I'm going to take it. I don't care what it is. A lot of people are like, it's tough, man. Like I can't do that. I started doing that when I started my marketing agency because I was like, I just, you know, I need to get analytics under my belt. I need to like kind of ride the coattails of what trends are going on right now. But you know, like eight months down the line, nine months down the line, I'm like, I'm miserable. I can't do this anymore. Like, I, and from that point on, I was like, I don't care if like I lose all of my revenue. I'm only going to work with brands that I personally like because, you know, especially when it's like content based marketing, you have to really understand it and you have to be in a position where you're like, I'm going to defend this till the end of the earth. I know that I'm the best person to talk about this. I know exactly what the target audience wants because I am the target audience. And you're just like, for me, you know, I get obsessed with products and I get obsessed with ingredients and supplements. And like, I just refuse to work with anybody or anything that I didn't think I was the best at. And I had to make a distinction there because there were brands and products that I thought I could be good at marketing, but not the best at. And all the ones that I took, because I'm like, I think I could be good at that. And like the, the price tag's good. I ended up being miserable, you know, one month, two months down the line. I didn't perform nearly as well as I would have. I would have loved it. And it took away from that energy and that focus I could have put towards those things that I really love, those things that energize me, those things that I'd want to do, regardless if there was a, you know, a, a price tag at the end of it. Yeah, it's just the only way to go, as I see it at this point. You know, you just will drive yourself into the ground. I mean, we're all like we're all going to die. We're all in a floating rock in space. And you're like <laughs> telling me that like the most interesting, like the, your life's work is that you're just doing something so mundane. I mean, when I talk to most people, I'm just like, I don't understand how you can, how you can motivate yourself to do that for even like 30 seconds. Like, I just don't understand it. <laughs> you know, I so agree. I, I totally vibe with what you're saying. And, um, you know, I can't picture someone like you just trying to market like a, drain cleaner or some shit you know it's like you know you could write the copy but it's just it's just uh it's draining <laughs> yeah dude I, I sell lug nuts but i think about it all the time it's like you know i wouldn't even know what someone looks for when they want like a really solid drain cleaner i'm not a plumber i'm not interested in pipe work so how am i supposed to market that effectively it's going to be boring it's going to be cliche exactly. i might as well get chat gpt to do that so yeah i mean honestly <laughs> like i think there's a specific archetype like a, a neurological type of person and there's multiple some people can be very strongly motivated by something deeper and they just see you know that pursuit as a means to an end and i yeah. really respect those people i wish i was one of those people right because you see it all the time like dudes that just work hard because they like to work hard dudes that just like make sales because they like to make sales maybe they're doing it for something higher than themselves right to leave a legacy to you know pay for their kids kids college to support their family and i respect that fully and i think that's incredibly you know just strong and hard-willed but you know honestly for me it's like if i'm not intrinsically interested in something i'm i'm worthless and like i need to yeah. always have like full responsibility of what i'm doing i need to be fully engrossed and obsessed with something because I know if I don't, I'm not going to be my best. And when I'm not my best, I feel awful. Like I literally, it's just not worth doing to me. So um, it's a specific yeah. type of person. I think people just need to be self-aware, right? I, I talk about it a lot, but it's like spend four to five months just digging super deep into general psychology, understanding how the brain works, understanding how the psyche works, understanding what type of brain you have, what are your proclivities? Keep a running list of all the things that energize you, all the things that drain you. Anytime you go above or below baseline energy, mark it down. Treat your life as a science experiment. And after those four months, you're really going to have such a better sense of self that you're going to have so much better critical thinking and decision-making capabilities for the rest of your life. And I think a big thing that people can do with that yeah. as well is you know, the traveling thing. I, I found travel to be an incredible way to do that. Yeah, on the so yeah, I think where where I kind of draw the line is I understand if somebody is you know, working really hard at something to, you know, to get to fix their financial situation to provide their family, you know, that all that all makes perfect sense. The, the area where I don't understand it is when they've already reached a, a breakout point where they could do something they prefer to be doing. Um, you know, like, I'll, I'll, like, there, like, there's that guy on Twitter that's like, does like the, the storage units or whatever. I don't know if you've seen this guy. Yeah, Nick Huber, sweaty startup. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I don't know. Like, it just, I, I can't vibe with that. It's like, I understand if you're doing that to like get out of a situation and then go do something else. But I don't understand, um, you know, just try like growth for the sake of growth. Like people that are just trying to scale and scale and scale and scale in something that like, maybe they're already in a good position and they could go do what they really truly love or they, they vibe with more than what what they are doing so i just think like for me and, and like you said everyone has different types but i think i think there's something almost um almost suppressed in some people where they're not 
look, they're not really looking at what they actually want. If they're, if they're tied, like, Oh, I love accounting. You know, it's like, really? Like, are you sure? Like yeah, supply <laughs> chain is my one true love. That's, that's my calling. Yeah. Yeah. It's like on your tombstone, it's like accountant 1950 to, I don't know. <laughs> great, <laughs> like, I don't know. great general manager. That's, that's what I want on my tombstone. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Like, uh, so yeah. Andrew Wilkinson, a uh, great guy, he runs tiny co they just have like, he has so many businesses and he was talking about it on a recent podcast where it's like a lot of people, my first million. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. Like, yeah. I listen to it all the time. Oh, uh, it's my favorite. I actually, I met Sam Parr <laughs> in Mexico city and he was the impetus for me starting a Twitter. Cause I met him. I'm like, Oh my God, like Sam, like I, I was literally listening to my first million as I met him. And he's like, dude, that's so awesome. Like, let's take a picture. He's like, what are you working on? Do you have a Twitter? Like, and at that point, you know, I just had like my very small agency um, and like no social media presence. And I was like, shit, like, I'm, I'm so lame. Like that introduction was so lame. He's like, you have a Twitter? Like, where are you at? What are you working on? I'm like, uh, no, not that much. <laughs> so since then I was like, dude, I need like digital presence um, because that sucked. But um, anyway, yeah, you know, Andrew Wilkinson was talking about how a lot of people, they'll make that exit, right? They'll get that big payout where they have $100 million. And they're like, why did you come into work today? I'm like, oh, because, you know, I love it. I like it. And they're like, do you actually like it? Or is it just because you're so habituated to that routine? And humans like routine that you're kind of just hooked comfort. on it. The comfort of the routine. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the scale of comfort versus, like, potential or, or something, right? And it's very easy to just gravitate towards comfort. And if you're already there, it's like, yeah, sure. Like I, I love this like instant <laughs> coffee machine at the office under the fluorescent life lights. Yeah. Like, you know, I get a lunch break for an hour every day. I mean, what's not to, what's not to love about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I, I think having those pattern interruptions is important for me. It's like, I know what it's like when I feel complacent. Cause I just like, I spent that time making very clear mental models of what do I look like when I'm at my best and what do I look like when I'm at my worst. And when I get those signals that I'm at my worst, I'm not feeling as intro ext extroverted. I'm feeling a little bit more complacent. I don't have that pep in my step when I wake up. I'm not actively pursuing opportunities. My ideas aren't flowing as rapidly as they used to. I know it's time for a change. And when I say change, I, I mainly mean like a mental psychological change, but that's hard to yeah. do. So for me, it's like, oh, well, time to book a ticket. I need to go somewhere for a few weeks. I need to go somewhere for a month. If I'm locked somewhere, it's like time to change up my entire external environment. I'm going to put the couch here. I'm going to put the desk here. And I find that offers me a better state to then make those psychological shifts. I don't think people realize how much their environment affects their their psychology and their, their habits and their patterns. Dude, well, not only like literal geographic location, but this ties perfectly into just all of the health and biohacking stuff. It's like if you're if you're not like eating well and sleeping well and getting sun and doing all these things. I mean, I don't know how you, how anyone can be alert enough and aware enough to actually function. I mean, I do all these things and it's still like a struggle, you know? And so you, then you imagine just the average person, just like, you know, eating a corn dog at Walmart or some under fluorescent lights or something. And it's just like, dude, I mean, how can you expect that person to be operating at their, at their highest self? It's it's it seems almost impossible because we do all the things and it's still hard to to really level up in that sense. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to the the human organism is incredibly effective at adapting. So if you're feeding it garbage all day, twenty four seven, you're gonna have a base baseline level of functioning that is like, it's okay, it's decent. Like your body gets used to it, but it's not like it's not all you could be, right? And then once you start. Yeah experimenting with those like more optimal ways of living I, I don't like the word optimal but like just like living better right like living more in accordance like how your biological uh functioning should be then you start getting a glimpse of it you know it's like going from driving a toyota camry to driving a porsche it, it, the camry still gets you from point a to point b you get used to it the commute's the same right. but it's hard to go back once you're there like that baseline just feels that much worse so yeah it's kind of like you know the there's a willful ignorance aspect to it as well that's true. Yeah, the body really is remarkable at 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 adapting. You know, if if we went and ate McDonald's right now, like we're not going to die, right? Like our body is going to figure out what to do with it, which is pretty impressive considering all the garbage that's in that. I mean, shit. Even if you like ate a piece of like a wrapper from a candy or something, like your body's going to figure out what to do with it, which is pretty remarkable. But then we're like, you know, oh, I'm not going to put in, I'm not going to eat any like non organic, uh, you know vegetable or whatever <laughs> like but the reality is we're actually quite good at like filtering that stuff yeah and you know this is a distinction that i think is important to make a lot of people that get into this health space 
become like hypersensitive to it. And I think those are the people that you see where they're like, oh no, like I can't touch that receipt. It's like, oh, like I think this was cooked on a stove that also used seed oils. And I get that, but like that's not personally what I'm going for. I'm going for resilience, right? I'm looking to put, you know, pennies in my uh, like hypothetical bank of health. So I have that resilience to be able to withstand the damages that are inevitably caused by our modern environments. Right. Like when I'm traveling, like I'm eating street food, I'm not getting optimal recovery. I'm not getting optimal training, but that's okay because I've built up like a store of biological resiliency points. And that's what I'm going for. Like my, my objective with, with this whole health stuff is just to get more out of life. I don't, I don't want to be perfect. You know, I'm not trying to ultra optimize. Maybe I am in certain periods. Like we were talking about this before, like getting obsessed with something for a small period of time. But then after you're done with that, yeah. like I'm trying to make this sustainable. I'm trying to do this for the rest of my life. I think the perfect example of that is uh, the the sleep area of biohacking. Like, you know, you get the aura ring, you get your blue blockers, you're putting them on at 7 p.m., you're tracking your sleep every night, everything's perfectly dialed. And that that that, that all of those things are are legitimately helpful and, and allow you to sleep really well and consistently. But then the reason that's important to me is because that that covers your ass for when you don't, for when you fuck around and do something that's off, maybe even have a few drinks or something like that. And, and your sleep is whack or you're out later one night. And, and what I've find, what I've found for myself personally is the more I'm, I'm di- my sleep, for example, is dialed in on a regular basis, then going off track actually affects me much less. Like, oh, I slept five hours for one night. And honestly, I feel about the same. And that wouldn't have happened if you're, if you're not uh, stacking the bank, right? Like if, if you're, you know, if you're sleeping even even six hours a night, but regularly, you're going to feel worse than if you're sleeping really dialed. But then you have one or two off nights occasionally. Like you have you have some in the bank, right? Absolutely, and you know that's something I've really been digging into is like the importance of, uh, I guess in this case, um, like recovery for your ability to adapt to stress, right? Like a lot of people talk about like adaptogens as the ability to adapt to stress, but for me, it's like the best things you could do to be more stress resilient is just to like have better nutrition, have better sleep, because when you are in stressful situations, it saps up all of that, all of those nutrients that you're taking. Like it's a very, it's a very taxing process. So it's going to take up, it's going to require a lot more sleep. It's going to require a lot more recovery. That's why like Dave Asprey was actually talking about this, but like, you know, like that's why all the most stressful like positions, like they have you like dialed in on nutrition right? Like, and just, you're like, you have to eat a bunch. Um, they talk about like, obviously like military people, um, like soldiers, athletes, a lot of these top performers, like their nutrition has to be dialed in, even if it's not physical stress, even just the mental stress aspect. And I don't think people appreciate that, how much your diet can affect your cognition, right? Like look at how much, like how many nutrients and how many calories, you know, chess players are burning just by thinking, so that was like the big unveiling for me because I started getting into this health stuff from just like a strictly physical aspect. I wanted to be bigger. I wanted to be stronger. I wanted to look better. And I was like, wait a minute, like the foods that I'm eating and the exercise that I'm doing are improving my cognition as well. That's interesting. Yeah, I kind of came at it actually the opposite. Um, so like in, in college, I actually majored in psychobiology. So I've oh. always been interested in like the neuroscience and the, you know, perception and kind of that side. And um that was kind of what drew me into Bulletproof more than like, like, for example, because everything about Bulletproof coffee was like, oh, your brain's going to be on fire, like you're burning keto ketones, like you're going to be so sharp, fasting, you're going to have revolutions, re- revelations, you know, and, and that stuff kind of psyched me, uh, hooked me much more. Um, honestly, like, yeah, like the, the physical training aspect is probably like the out of all like the 10 different pillars, that's probably like the that's still like my weakest, actually, it's just like the fundamental just like, you know, work out more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I feel you on that one. I'm at that point yeah. too, because like I've, I've been training for like 10 years now. I literally started training when I was, nice. I was super young. And so now it's just like part of my routine. I like, I've already gone through that phase. Right. So now I'm more interested in the frontiers where I'm less proficient. Right. When I'm looking at like, how can I improve my liver function? How can I improve my gut mm. health? How can I improve my heart health? I've never considered heart health ever. Or like my, my uh, circulatory system, I've never considered like circulatory health. But now because those are so new to me, that's what I'm really looking to optimize because I've already like had, I've gotten to that level of proficiency in the physical stuff. I have it at baseline. And like, also I, I noticed this online, but it's like, you get pigeonholed into that stuff where it's like, people are like, Oh, like what, what's your, what's your stretching routine? It's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't have one. Like I've just done it for 10 years. Like ask me about how you can improve your liver detox, like please something else. 
So um, I think that's what you have to do, though. You have to go through seasons of obsession, right? Like that's the only way to keep yeah. it fresh. And then you can revisit those. So like I revisited, you know, some certain like uh, fundamental, like strength fundamentals and stuff like that. Um, and like just have that be cyclical. I don't think like honing in on one thing affects your life. Yeah. Is, is like, like, and for you as a, as a content creator, you really don't want to get yourself pigeonholed as like the guy who only talks about the one thing and then and then people just come to you for that one thing and you're like hey dude like i'm a like i'm noah like you can ask me a question as a person i'm not just like the the foot stretch guy or whatever yeah. <laughs> like you know and and it because yeah honestly like especially if you're trying to build like a audience for the long term that type of stuff just like really drains you that that's part of why i kind of like stopped with with content and stuff like that and definitely reinvigorated with twitter but i used to do youtube and all that and it's YouTube, just kind yeah. of a, a bummer with uh like only like people just like want one thing out of you and it's like you you feel like you're you're just like feeding the 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 machine i'm curious to ask you though actually you, you so you said the the you said you like you're exploring like heart and circu- circ- circulatory stuff. Like, is there anything particular you're looking at or trying in that? You know, honestly, like it really comes down. Like, you realize how interconnected all the organs are. So, like, your liver function is going to affect your, your gut health, right? It's going to affect like your entire circulatory system. I'd say my two deepest rabbit holes right now are foreign bodies, right? So that's parasites, that's bacterial overgrowth, oh, yeah. and that's heavy metal toxicity. Those are the biggest things for me uh, right now. I find them to be by far the most interesting, the most prevalent that people aren't considering. Because I think that's a big thing, right? It's like, you know, I've been I've been researching this stuff for years now. I've been trying to fix my own health issues. And none of these really crossed my mind that significantly. Other than like, I guess, bacterial overgrowth and overall gut health. But like, you know, I never considered how important liver function is and how much it affects your overall health. You know, the functionality of your body's natural detox pathways and the idea that some people have better functioning detox pathways than others. And maybe a lot of your problems stem from like inefficiencies in your body's ability to detox. It's like figuring out ways to do that. It's really like, I guess, most importantly, changed my habits. It's changed my my routines. It's just changed the way that I look at health and that new information has like really caused some pretty big lifestyle changes in terms of avoiding certain things that I'd never considered to avoid, right? Like watching out where I get my cacao, where does my tea come from, right? Because so many things right. are laced with heavy metal, being careful about the water I consume, remineralizing, yeah. you know, for me, like cutting out alcohol completely was a big one that I did going down these rabbit holes that I assumed I never would have done if not for like becoming obsessed with like a single organ. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, it's good to keep keep experimenting and, and keep fine tuning and add things back into like, just it, it's a constant evolution for sure. Yeah. And I assume that I'm like, probably am or will be going overboard and becoming over obsessive with it. But I want to because when I'm obsessed, that's when you really get that learning curve. And I can just go all in and I can just research for hours. And then once I have like a proficient level of knowledge, I'll back off a little bit, I'll go explore something else. Maybe I'll dig like deeper into you know, like mitochondrial function or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. The parasite rabbit hole seems really interesting. Honestly, I feel like there's something there. And like, I don't, I don't know nearly enough about that. And like, I would love to to learn more about that too. So get on some threads or, or something, yeah. <laughs> but that'd be really like, yeah. The thing about um, like, I've, I've seen kind of going around on Twitter about like tobacco and parasites. I find that oddly intriguing. <laughs> yeah. I, that's like, a, that's like, there's a viral thing in there for sure. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's so contrarian, which is why I love it. I'm, I'm a big nicotine respecter. You know, I think nicotine is an incredibly powerful, like chemical, like a phytochemical. Uh, it's really good for cognition. It's great for, you know, honestly, neuroprotection. And that's something I'm super interested mm-hmm. in. And, you know, just that I think the vilification of it is what makes it so much more interesting for me. And, you know, I got exposed to the actual, I guess, uh, therapeutic uses of tobacco when i was down in peru i was in the jungle for two weeks doing uh, a ceremony of sorts uh with some peruvian shamans and we weren't allowed to have anything like we couldn't even have salt in our food i couldn't talk to anybody for two weeks i wasn't able to have ice like i had one meal a day it was incredibly restrictive but tobacco was allowed like a specific form of tobacco and it was used excessively in these like in these ceremonies and that really like 
brought me up like, wait a minute, like this thing that's been demonized for years that causes cancer, it has yeah. a therapeutic use. And I was like, oh yeah. Like, and then you kind of realize like, wow, like this is a powerful plant, right? It has incredible antiviral, antifungal, antiparasitic properties. It's oftentimes used as a yeah. cleansing and a purging agent, like in hoppe. And you know, it's just been demonized, it's been vilified. And I think it's been bastardized is the better word. Because obviously, if you're chain smoking cigarettes and abusing it, it's not going to be good for you. Same with, you know, alcohol had therapeutic purposes back in the day. But if you're a chronic alcoholic, it's not going to be good for you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well put. I mean, not only is it the vilification, which makes it instantly intriguing, because it's like, okay, why is this being so thrown under the bus? Like, is it really so bad? Is there, Or is there some benefit that we, you know, shouldn't be getting or something like that? Like, is there actually some some use? And, um, you know, like food, it's not that the whole concept of that food is bad. It's that the the way it's been bastardized is what makes it bad. Like, like take like the raw milk ice cream, for example. It's like, if you go eat crap ice cream, it's probably like super bad for you. But if you eat raw milk ice cream with raw egg yolks and raw honey, then it's arguably like a superfood. And, and maybe a very similar parallel with with tobacco you know if you're smoking like bleached freaking paper uh cigarettes with probably like a plastic filter and I, I don't even know like whatever additives and carcinogens are in there i mean that is like so 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 far removed from some naturally grown organic healthy soil tobacco that you're you know naturally smoking it's like it's two completely different ends of the spectrum so i think it's like i totally respect that people are like reopening to that. And, and I, I don't, I don't smoke tobacco. I mean, I've tried it. I've, I've tried the gum a little bit, but like, I totally, um, I think there's something there. And I think that's really interesting to explore, like why it is so suppressed. Yeah. And, you know, we also have to understand that tobacco is completely different than cigarettes, right? They say cigarettes are bad for you. They're not talking about the tobacco. They're talking about cigarettes in general, and they can't even pinpoint what aspects of cigarettes are bad as a whole, because each cigarette has a different level of additives that make it more addictive, that make it smoother on the lungs, right? Not to mention you're smoking it through a plastic filter that's burning nanoparticles into your lungs. Yeah, it's crazy. And like, also, you got to look at the frequency. Um, If you're using something that has a very strong therapeutical therapeutic purpose, and you know, is smoked occasionally in like ancient literature, like it, it is, uh, but it's also used for cleansing rooms, right? It's used for like purging yourself. So you're going to throw up and shit your brains out. That's also a completely different use case. I don't, I, I don't condone smoking uh, at all uh, from like a health standpoint. You know, just because if you're combusting anything that you don't need in your lungs, it is going to cause free radical damage, right? So there's that yeah. aspect there. But like, once again, what is the use case here? If your goal is to kill some parasites, you know, you're going to have to do something that may not be good objectively for long-term health, but it's good for that specific purpose, right? Like I don't, it might be a case where it might be a case where moderation actually does make sense, right? It's like, yeah, you don't want to be chain smoking or smoking every single day or all day, every day, but like maybe, maybe there is a therapeutic dose where the benefit actually outweighs that that damage of yes of course it's like not going to be healthy for the lungs that's exactly it the question that's exactly it and i think you know having that reframing and like starting off from first principles and looking at all substances like that because even with supplements right like a lot of times like people want to categorize good or bad but in reality it all depends on the use case and you know do the pros outweigh the cons for this specific purpose what's the risk profile here you know that's why like i tell people like cycle every single supplement because even simple things like B vitamins can be toxic, right? Like niacin, one of my favorite supplements, vitamin B3. It's incredible for helping with mm. detox, right? For circulation, for all of these things. But it's very taxing on your liver, right? It can cause like hyperglycemia. Like just uh, it just gives your body a really difficult time uh, with like insulin sensitivity. So it's like one of those things where like, yeah, mm. it's good, but you know, use it for a specific use case. Don't take it every day. Um, and like, it's it's such a foreign idea for so many people. It was a foreign idea for me as well. Us as humans have this natural tendency to want to categorize things as good or bad, black or white, because it makes the thinking process so much simpler. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense to to cycle pretty much everything. I've I've been kind of doing that intuitively, like ever since I got into supplements, like because yeah, I, I, if for obviously in some cases things actually like downregulate the the intrinsic creation of that thing, but even in other cases, it just like makes sense to like change it up, like 
you know, I'm not even a fan of eating the same thing. Like people meal prep and do very regimented routines, uh, or even just down to just, just living routines, right? Like morning routines and stuff like that. And, um, you know, yeah, I, th I think there's like benefit in the variation. Yeah. And I think the only constant in human evolution has been change. Right. And I noticed that as well with diet in particular, where it's like, I would get obsessed with like a certain diet, you know, the carnivore and then like paleo and then yeah. um, like fruit and meat, the primal diet. I was big on that before, but there was a certain threshold where it's like, I had this intuitive sense that I need to change it up. And once I started digging deeper into that, I was like, oh, it makes sense. Like we're, we're evolved to eat seasonally, right? Like we're evolved to have a wide variety of nutrient variation. And I was like, okay, cool. Like it, it seems like the only proper answer is to constantly be switching it up and maybe be cycling things. But, um, you know, something interesting that I've yeah. seen with a lot of like higher level people that are like in health space, like the deeper you go, the less, like the more simple things become. And I was actually just reading, um, from turning pro by Steven Pressfield. And he was talking about that. He's like, all the pros, they're very simple. You know, like they keep things super simple. There's no flashiness. Have you experienced that at all as you continue to progress where it's like you started with all the cool gadgets and devices and now you're like, I get sun and I go in cold. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's what, so first starting on the diet, I think that, I think the whole space has evolved and it used to be like so specific, like you can eat this and you can't eat that. And, and, and that changed, that went through like five different progressions from like, you know, paleo to keto to carnivore. Right. And, and basically like, at least in my like friend group of people that have been into this type of stuff for years and myself included is like, we all eventually gravitated towards, towards quality. And what, even if that means eating like an organic sourdough bread or something like that, yeah, it has gluten, but it's, it's the quality and the sourcing that, that, that takes the number one above all of like the restrictive things or, or like, or like dairy. Like I, I didn't eat dairy for like five years, like any dairy and any gluten at the same period and eventually kind of like reintroduce those things mildly and, and thoughtfully. And, um, and then you realize like, oh, it's not, you know, killing me and it probably is okay to do that. Same thing with like carnivore plus, you know, having an occasional piece of broccoli or something like it's not going to literally kill you. But on the biohacking side, 100%, I've realized that, you know, when I first got into it, it was more like the gadgets, the the, the tech is kind of like exciting. Um, but over time, no, the, the free things, I think the free biohacks are like the absolute strongest. I mean, I guess food is not free. So leave that aside. But yeah, sourcing food, you're buying food anyways, buy better food. But then, you know, sun, grounding, um, cold, you know, basically I think jumping in the ocean is like the most ultimate biohack of all time. In my opinion, I mean, you're getting like the most intense grounding, you're out in the sun, you're getting the cold exposure, you're getting like remineralized from, from this, you know, intense salt water. And, and that's why you're just like buzzing the rest of the day after you jump in the ocean. So yeah, you know, I think hacks, I think I, you can't, I don't even know if they're considered biohacks anymore, but like that sector of biohacks for me is more powerful than, really any of like the the gadgets at least i've found i noticed that as well and yeah i wish there was a like there was a better word to explain this because i think there's a negative connotation with biohacks but you know unfortunately like, i don't think there's a better word at this point but i realized that it's like all of these tools and all of these gadgets that i'm using are just ways to replicate what i would get if i was living more in accordance with nature right even from like you know red light like getting that red that 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 near infrared and that red light wavelength i'm like I could just get that if I had major exposure to sunrise and sunset every single day, right? Like, or fire. Yeah, or, or fire. That's a good point, too. And, like, yeah, there's so many things where it's like, okay, cool. I could live in a city and I could buy all of these really cool gadgets and tools, or I could just go live on the beach and, you know, just eat seasonal food and, and just go in the ocean and I'd get all of them for free. So it really, it really is exactly. crazy. Like, all of the best biohacks are free. I will die on that hill for sure. Um, and it usually ends up, safe. I'll die with you. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll stake out on <laughs> yeah. that hill. Yeah. I mean, even the gadgets are replicating natural things. You know, the reality is just like our modern environment is just, you're being like devastated from 20 different directions at once. You know, like I, I think some uh, slight tangent, but I think some of in the health influencer space are almost like overly optimistic in a sense. Um, and that like, Oh, like, like right now, like raw milk is hot. Right. And it's like, Oh, you like drink raw milk and like, you'll literally be healed of everything in your entire life seems to be like the perception that some people have about it. 
But the reality is like, no, no, no. You just like reverted one thing back to the way it always was. And everything else is still fucked. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there's definitely an oversimplification of it. And that happens to me all the time, right? It's like, oh, I found the thing. Like, this is the one thing that's going to save us all. And it's like taurine. It's yeah. like taurine is like an amino acid. And it just, it, it's very yeah. little. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Our nature, our environment that we live in, the modern environment is inherently toxic. Like inherently toxic. Yeah. So we do need to incorporate modern solutions to get back to that baseline level of function, right? We have to remineralize our exactly. water. We have to filter out the water we're consuming. I don't feel comfortable being exposed to rain in cities because it's literally bringing up all of the exactly. Yeah. So it's hard for us to live properly in accordance with nature, given the way that you know, our world has unfortunately unfolded. Exactly. Toxicity. We're being exposed to toxicity on every single level. So um, that's that's my MO. You know, it, it sounds people are like, oh, that's so, you know, as you mentioned, like they, they want to be too positive about it. Like, that's so pessimistic, right? That the world is slowly yeah. killing us, but it is, right? And like, this is a very stoic approach to it. This is just the way the world is. Like, there are wonderful things. We're killing the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're killing the world too. I mean, like we, like we evolved to, you know, put up with the evolving environment, but now like we've, and I don't even just mean like, like climate or something. I just mean like, we just pump fucking chemicals into the air. Like it's insane. It's absolutely mind blowing. Like on a grand scale with manufacturing, every time I go for a walk, I have to smell fucking Tide detergent, like fuming out of somebody's house. And it's just like, great. And like now I'm inhaling endocrine disruptors and you know, there, there's probably all these micro particles in the air that I can't even see, smell anything all the time. The rain, like you mentioned, uh, EMF is obviously a huge one. I mean, even if you're in a rural area of the world, you're probably still covered in some way like yeah less intense than being in a big city but still not truly back to nature so you know we're really like fighting up against a lot of stressors and a lot of unnatural things and man it's like it's it's tough to cover all the bases but you just got to kind of do the best we can with like the the kind of tragic situation of of how much we've jacked stuff up it is tragic yeah and you know i think that is like a huge thing for me and also like you notice it like if you go for a while without having those exposures so like when i go and i'll like live on a very secluded area for a while with like no wi-fi one one bar of 3g like really not even any light like i'm pretty much living outside and then I'll go back to the city and I'm like, I just get horrible tinnitus all the time. Like my respiratory system acts out because of the pollution. And like, you're, you notice mm. it, we just like get to a baseline level of acclimation. But um, yeah, you know, and I think now it's like modern problems do require modern solutions. And I used to look, think like, you know, like hormone replacement was horrible, like so unnatural and stuff like that. But now it's like, dude, we are. I mean, from the get go, we're fighting an uphill battle. And like, sometimes I think there is an argument to be made that, you know, we do have to go above and beyond to like, just get back to baseline level yeah. of functioning, right? Get back to the hormone levels that we had 100 years ago. Exactly. I mean, it's the entire argument for supplements themselves, right? Like some people would be like, oh, I'm getting it from the food that I eat, right? Like, I don't, why would I need any supplements? But the reality is like the soil is depleted, you know, the food is the food is deficient. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, you know, given this sort of wasteland that we've created for ourselves, like, it shouldn't be that outlandish that you'd have to that you have to supplement things that you have to go a little like off the natural path to emulate nature again requires you to add things back in it, it is a weird dichotomy uh, it, it's it's very weird and it takes a while to like wrap your head around it but i'm at that point you know and i think you know it's it's not only important it's also incredibly interesting right like i just love that I don't know. Like, I, I just love the whole pursuit, right? Like this endeavor to like become more human by, you know, really DIY biology. And, you know, it's enjoyable. It's fascinating. It improves your quality of life. Like it makes you feel better. It makes you feel happier. And just like you constantly fine tune. It's really an endeavor that you can take up the rest of your life of just improving your health. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the most interesting things in the world. I mean, like, why are we doing it? We're doing it. If we really think deep down, we're probably doing it to feel more of ourselves. We're doing it to like connect more with the environment, have more life in ourselves for, for family, for friends, for experiences, for, for, for life in general. Right. And we're, we're doing all this stuff to like, to squeeze as much out of that as possible rather than just becoming like submissive and subdued from all of these things, like bringing us down. So yeah, I mean, it's like an endlessly 
endlessly in, intriguing pursuit and it amplifies because if you can implement a change and then people around you implement changes i mean that can really uh like change things change things on a scale even back to like products like we were saying if you make if you make uh regenerative grass-fed beef like accessible and and you know great in all the same ways or even price competitive for example then you get the consumer acting on the behalf of their own health and acting on behalf of really like the the overall ecosystem's health at the same time absolutely and yeah you know i think you're you have a very similar mindset with like the product thing it's like just go through the customer journey of someone wearing your shoes right and it's like oh wow those are cool shoes like what's up with them and then of course because they're interesting and they align with your worldview you want to share you're like oh like check it out they got this little copper conductor at the bottom like it helps me ground and they're like grounding like what's that that's so crazy and then you introduce them to like this whole other realm and it all started from a product right like you know i work with a company down in mexico and they do continuous glucose monitors and it's like a thing on your arm so like you're we're going through that customer journey and they have their phone they're having lunch with their friends and they tap it it makes a noise and that customer experience brings intrigue of other people that may not even know what you know blood glucose is like, yeah what is the purpose of doing that so i think that you know products really are the, the way to dissipate all this information to get people's eyes on it because we've been conditioned for our, the entirety of our lives to love products to live in this consumer society why not use it for good yeah i know i love the perspective and i hadn't even considered that yet but it'd be I mean, it'd be really special if the shoe is somebody's entry point into not just grounding, like that will happen, but their entry point into the other things, right? Like maybe they hear about the grounding shoe and then that kind of sets them on their journey. Similar to how I said, like for me, it, the first thing was like the hygiene products and deodorants and soaps and stuff, realizing that was toxic. That kind of set me on this journey that led to food, that led to water and, and light and grounding and, and the whole, you know, the however many pillars of, of this there is, like for some people grounding in the shoe might actually be their entry point into the the whole broader lifestyle uh, which would be like absolutely super cool. i feel like there's rarely one without the other like i've never heard someone who likes grounding that doesn't like you know sun exposure right that doesn't like exactly like mineralization of their water so it's all like part of this greater ethos that people have uh so i think it's incredible and like the ability for brands to push that storyline you know we talk about that a lot when working with like individual like single product brands it's like you guys don't have to talk about just your product Talk about other things that, right. you know, your customer audience would be interested in that aligns with your product. Talk about the entire lifestyle exactly. and how your product is one aspect of that overall lifestyle. Like Nike doesn't sell shoes. They sell the whole athlete. Right. So, you know, it's the same yeah, thing. Yeah. You're just selling the whole like, I don't know what you want to call them, like an esoteric health nut. You know, exactly. Exactly. Like, I, I think I think my target customer isn't like somebody who's shopping <laughs> for shoes. My target customer is like somebody that drinks raw milk and avoids seed oils yeah. that's my customer for these shoes you know because there's going to be they they are ideologically aligned uh you know with a certain overarching health ethos and and even like an ethos towards consumerism itself right because there's like the natural materials angle and things like that and and that's a particular person that's going to be interested in all those things like not just the one thing yeah so yeah, I guarantee if yeah. you came out with like EMF blocking underwear, those would be a hit. Granted, I don't know how many of your you know target customers wear underwear, um, but you know like <laughs> that's like that thing, and I you know that goes back to what we we're talking about in the beginning of like don't pigeonhole yourself. That is like my biggest fear is being pigeonholed. You know, like I don't want to become the splits guy because I like, it's just such a small abysmal aspect of an overall lifestyle. And um, I think people yeah. like when when creating, I just creating content in general like there may be temptations to hone in on one thing, right? Because that's how you grow quick, right? That's how like, yeah, you productize yeah. yourself. But like, do you want people following you because you give good advice on how to make the best raw milk ice cream? Or do you want them following you because they think <laughs> Matt's a cool dude? They like Matt's ethos. They like the things that you talk about. Right. And like how you maybe combine multiple niches. So that's definitely something to think about. I think it takes longer to grow an audience that way, but you grow such a stronger audience. It's a much higher quality audience. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you just want to grow and, and like, like I said, I used to be kind of in that, in that camp. Like I was just like making Amazon videos and I was growing really fast on YouTube for a while and it was doing super well, but it's not the real mat. It's not the whole mat, at least it's real, but it's not the whole thing. And it's so much like, I enjoy my, my personal Twitter. Like I have 2000 followers on Twitter, a lot of that recently, to be honest. And like, I enjoy that Twitter, like more than the larger audiences I've built in the past that didn't feel so like, cause I, I, maybe 
I, I don't know for sure, but it feels like my Twitter audience like gets the whole package more than my larger audiences got it. Yeah. Know? Like, yeah, my, my large, like if even on, even like my Instagram, my Instagram is like not that big either, but it's bigger and it's like 4k or something. Honestly, it's gone down cause I don't post it. But, um, if I like post like raw liver or something on my Instagram, I feel like half that audience is like, what the hell is this? Yeah. You know? But it's great. It's great to have an audience that does fully like vibe with, with you. Overall. Yeah. I can't imagine you like on your, uh, FBA YouTube channel posting, like <laughs> here's my raw ice cream recipe. And they're like, like that's how you lose followers. And honestly, like, I think in that yeah. sense, like I'm glad when I lose followers, cause that means it was a bad match and it was just junk followers. So I do love that now. It's like, yeah, really having that freedom and that desire to just post whatever you want is the best play for sustainability, right? Like you're going to get yeah, more yeah. burnt out talking about like, if your brand was exclusively around grounding, what are you going to do? Repeat the same yeah. seven platitudes every month? Like, no, but if you're, if, you're, if your brand's just mad, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. People are there for you. Maybe you bring up a new topic and they get super interested in it. It's like, Oh, like I know this guy's ethos. He's been, pouring his heart out online every single day for the last you know two years i'm interested in to hear what he's mm. saying about this new topic yeah absolutely i mean i don't even have a goal with my personal twitter i just like started screwing around with it again and it's been a lot of fun like i don't have like uh i mean i guess at this point now with risal like there's definitely some like overlap with that so it can be used like you know as part of the business in a sense but for the most part i'm just i'm just having fun with it like i'm not trying to like i don't i don't feel like I'm trying to personal brand myself at the moment. Um, if anything, I kind of like gave that up and kind of like shelved it. Um, but maybe I'm just doing that in like a more loose way in a sense. Like I'm not doing it by like specifically setting out to get followers or like launch some business off the audience or something like that, but rather just, uh, you know, build up this crew of, of like-minded people, which honestly is something I have definitely thought about with, um, with, with Rizal is like, dude, anyone that buys, a pair of risals is like basically my friend. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, you must be awesome. <laughs> like you probably have almost all of these things we've been talking about in common with me. And like, you know, maybe over time that becomes kind of this, like almost like symbol of that group. Like I could imagine, uh, you know, in Austin there, there's like a group of 10 friends get together for like a, a, a carnivore feast or whatever and like nine of them are wearing risals like that's kind of what i imagine happening in like yeah, a year dude, and, you know that's that's how it spreads <laughs> right it's like you know you're part of a group yeah. part of a community and like an idea makes its way into that click and then it just spreads like wildfire so yeah i think also that's just the best way to approach i think just creating content in general online like getting your ideas out there in the world my objective with it was the same i had no objective i just wanted to refine my thoughts and, you know, with that, it was just about what can I do to make this not boring, right? Like, I've never once, it, it's, I guess it's like even the same with working out. It's like, I have no end objectives with this. I'm not competing in anything. My goal is to be able to come in every day and do this because I want to do it. If, I, if there's ever a day where I don't want to do it, I know I'm doing something wrong and I need to reassess everything. Yeah, it's like selling products you're... Yeah, it's like selling a product you're into. It's the same thing. It's like if, if you want it to be sustainable and engage you, like it's got to be just authentically you and something you're you're stoked about or else you're just freaking selling drain cleaner, right? And, you know, I think that's the key to longevity too. So like how long is your time span? But Matt, this was awesome, man. I am freezing. Uh, I'm visiting some buddies in Texas actually and it's really cold here. I haven't been in this cold weather in literally like two years. But incredible conversation. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. Everybody, you can find Matt on Twitter. Uh, he's also on Instagram. And if you're into FBA, he's got a, a legacy YouTube account as well. You can stock. <laughs> you don't even have to. It's all it's all years ago there. I haven't been on there in like That's two awesome. years. But if you want some vintage Amazon yeah. videos, go to my YouTube. Every, yeah, I would say, tw honestly, Twitter is where it's at these Twitter's days. Twitter's the move. Um, I, I assume any, every, yeah. anybody watching this will be from Twitter. So that's perfect. And Matt did just come out with a that we've been talking about a lot. I have a pair. They are awesome. They are some of the few grounding shoes that I actually feel comfortable wearing in public because they're stylish. I've been getting comments on them already. So definitely check that out as well. Uh, with the spelling that is R-H-Y-Z-A-L. I. R-H-I-Z-A-L. R-H-I-Z-A-L. Dot co. Check them out. Rizal Shoes on Twitter. Rizal comes from Myco Rizal, by the way. Like the Myco Rizal network in the soil. So it's like that's like the... 
it's like the communication network between roots. So trees can like send signals to each other using, using like fungi as basically like monitoring the soil. So the myco part comes from fungi and rhizal is like this root network underground. Uh. So the concept is kind of like you're reconnecting with this like information of the that's earth. So that's where the name right came there. from. I see it just like the shoe on ground and then you have like all the little electrons pulsing from there. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. definitely check them out on there. Matt, once again, thank you so much, man. This is a great conversation. Yeah, thanks. This See was a blast.